good to see all of you, and uh, it's great to be here, great to be, uh, boy, what great music today, and uh, we've, had a, we've been, uh, had a great morning of worship already, so this has been wonderful. Um, I have a very unusual passage of scripture for the Sunday after Christmas, but I felt that we need to get back into John's gospel, and, and so this is where we are. This is the 46th in a series of messages in John that we began over a year ago, if you recall, and we take some breaks from time to time, but not many. And uh, we've got another, I don't know, 30 or so probably to go. So we're, we're going to be here a while, but this is a wonderful book. Uh, we haven't covered every verse of it, but we haven't missed a lot of verses. And so this one today is one for the record. And I think not a sermon for the record, but a passage for the record. You all know it. You all have heard it. You are familiar with it. But we're going to talk about it today, and I'll, I want you to listen to it with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh view, and, and not just from what you are familiar with or what you know, but I want you to listen to it anew. But I got a couple of things I want to say before I get started. First, I want to always, and I don't do this very often, but I want to encourage you to invite someone to come to church with you. That's why people come to church, is because you invite them. Uh, they don't come necessarily because I invite them. People expect a preacher to invite them. But if you invite them, you invite your neighbor, your family, your people you love and care for, then that means a lot. And that's that's really good. And the second thing that this is the last Sunday of this year, 2017, what a year it's been. And as you get ready to start, I'm not a New Year's resolution kind of guy, but there are some things that you can do. One of the things that I really encourage you to do is to read your Bible. And and to start this year and to read your Bible. And you say, well, Jim, I need a plan. Read about two or three chapters a day and you'll get through the whole Bible in a year if you want to do that. If you've never read it, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. And I'm not telling you that to insult you, but I'm telling you what a wonderful book it is. It is God's word. It's his instruction from cover to cover. Every word of this book is inspired by God. It's given to us. We Christians ought to read it. I would... I would urge you, and if you say, well, um, I don't know that I have time to read two or three chapters a day. Let me, let, me, let me offer you this. Take the book of Proverbs and read the book of Proverbs one chapter a day, one chapter a day for three months. And you can cover Proverbs, or 31 chapters, you can cover it in a month. Now, one month, if we only have 30 days, or February, you got to read two chapters in a day. But you can cover it. Read it. Read it three times. If you, can't, if you can't do it, just read it three times and uh, in the first three months of the year. What a great, those, that's a great book to just get in and read. Read it to your children. Uh, David Jeremiah said that he used to pay his children $5 every time they read the book of Proverbs. And he said, even if they cheated a little bit, he said they read it a lot more than they would have otherwise. So however you do it, Read the Bible, get into God's word. Let's, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 14, verses one through six. I don't know that I'm gonna get to five and six, but we'll see, we'll just see how that goes today. Um, this, is, this is one of these passages, it, it's kind of like standing at the base of a big mountain and looking up and saying, I'm not sure that I can climb that mountain. David, 
David Allen is one of the great expository preachers of the Bible. He's a professor at Southwestern Seminary. And uh, Dr. Allen, uh, I've heard him speak several times. And one of the things that he always says, he says, preacher, he says, take about any two or three paragraphs in the Bible and you already have more that you can handle in a day. And I've got more than I can handle in a day here. This is, this is a passage that is absolutely packed with truth. Now we read John 14 all the time at funerals. I've read it in funerals. You've heard it in funerals. You are familiar with it. You may have read it in times of loss or in grief, but I, I want you to step away from that today and, and say this is not a funeral passage, but it is a passage for life. It is, it is lessons of hope from the edge of eternity. Jesus is speaking from the edge of eternity. And that's where he's, he's, he's at the cross. He's right before the cross. We've traveled a long way from Bethlehem from this point. His disciples now have known who Jesus is. They have seen his miracles. They knew about his miraculous birth. They saw him teach. They saw him change hearts. They saw him heal people. They saw him raise people from the dead. And now they're, now they're faced with a cross. They have begun to understand that Jesus is leaving them. And they're sad. They're bewildered. They're afraid. Have you ever been there? Well, this is a passage for you. Every one of us ought to take this passage to heart. And you say, well, Jim, I'm not, I'm going through a really good time. Actually, the time to learn from this passage is now. The, the time to apply this passage is, it's not time to learn how to jump out of the plane when you're standing there with a parachute. You should have learned all that first. And so often, as I did, I learned about this passage when I was getting ready to jump out of the plane. It's not so easy. It's a wonderful passage. It is absolutely packed with truth. It is God's word. It is instruction to us. It is for you not to just hear and move on, but hear and take it to your heart. It's Jesus telling those that he's closest to on earth at that time how to prepare for death and loss. This is what he says. So you got to hear it. And um, I, I said... Midweek, I, I read this. I said, boy, I see AJ's music. Is this just too, too intense? But boy, I'll tell you, if we can't, if we can't get joyful about what God has done for us here, then, then we can't be joyful. So let me read this great passage to you. Jesus to his disciples, John 14. I'm going to read one through six. We'll see how far we go. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. I'm Thomas here. Uh, Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Father, thank you for your words. Speak clearly to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I, um, I think this is an amazingly simple passage. Uh, I've, I've read it at many funerals. You've heard it at many funerals. I remember when my first wife was dying, I went to the Bible, the Gideon Bible inside the hospital room and I turned to this chapter and it was all hacked up and torn up. Lots of people had been there before in that book. This is a chapter that we go to. But do we really understand? I, I don't believe I really understood and I don't know that I fully understand it now. But I... I think it took me years of reading and studying and talking about and praying about and thinking about this passage in order to apply it and and understand it. And I'm not telling you that I have this great enlightenment about it. But it is a wonderful passage. But it's really pretty simple. And Jesus gives us four lessons from the edge of eternity that we need to listen to. And so I'm going to start right off. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. I just want to get at it. The first thing, at the edge of eternity, don't let your heart be troubled. Listen, this is an instruction. If you love, it, it, don't let your heart be troubled. That's not a request. It's not, uh, try not to. It is an imperative. It is a command. It is the same as love, love one another as you love yourself. Forgive your brother. It's, it's a command right out of the words of Jesus. He is giving us an instruction not to let your heart be troubled. The word means to be stirred or agitated. It means to shake up. Grief stirs us up. It shakes our personality. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We can't think right. We can't concentrate. We we are aimless in our instruction. We're, our mind is just way off track. That's what, that's what grief does. The idea here, uh, one commentator says, is don't let your heart shudder. The word, uh, the same word is used in, in chapter 13, verse 21. If you look there, and um, uh, when, when Jesus heard this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, one of you will betray me. It, it's the idea that you're, you're deeply disturbed. That, that's what grief does. That, that's the way it affects us. And, and so Jesus is telling us, if it looks like your world is falling apart and everything is lost and darkness is going to engulf you, don't let your heart be troubled. That's, let me tell you, that's a tough requirement to meet. And I, I have sinned on this one many times. I, my heart has been troubled many times. I know yours has. I'm not telling you this is an easy command to follow. I'm not telling you that this is something you always say, okay, I got it. This is just mind over matter. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I got it. I, I got it. No, he told you not to let, not to let your heart be troubled. And you know that, that, that he's telling us that well, you have some control over that. Don't let, don't allow, don't permit. You know, you and I have, do have some control over this. We, so we, we have to measure that. We have to understand that our heart is the very, our, our very most inner, innermost being. It, it's who we are. And over in Proverbs, one of those chapters of Proverbs that I was, I was plugging to you, listen to Proverbs chapter three. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding. How about that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't rely on, because when you're in grief, your own understanding is all about your loss and all about your own problems and all about your own difficulty and all about the things that are facing you. And so the Bible, the word from God is, listen, God is bigger than that. Don't trust in your heart. Trust, trust in him. 
Trust in his word. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Give him everything. So Jesus is telling us right off the bat, don't let your heart be troubled. There's a book that you got to read. You, you have, um, you've probably read it, Going Home by Billy Graham. Coming Home, I can't remember. You, you know that book. You've got to read it. You guys ought to read it. While you're young and healthy, read it. It talks about how to get ready for the end of your life. It's a great instruction. Billy Graham says, and I, and I can appreciate this. He says, when I preached my last crusade in Flushing Meadows in 2005, I did not dream I would be living without my wife, Ruth, two years later. I never contemplated living without her. Throughout our marriage, the phone was the only thing that came between us. I was always grateful to hear her voice. Not to be at home without her would be more than I could bear. That's Billy Graham. If it were not for her faith, and she did not leave so much of herself in our home. She wrote this poem that he had, and he wrote this in his book, and he said, she wrote of their home, the old house is empty now with mostly only me. The trees are crowding up the hill as if for company. Ruth called this the empty nest syndrome, and she said, it's really not an empty nest syndrome, it's then and now. There's the reality of then and the reality of now. And Billy Graham said the reality of now is just about more than he could bear. That's what grief is. You know that. And I'm not telling you that you can just dismiss it. But Jesus, in his wisdom and in his understanding and in his love and in his compassion for us, he is telling us not to let our heart be troubled. It is not blind faith. It is not just mind over matter. It's not just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to will out these bad thoughts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Instead of staying awake all night, I'm just going to go to sleep. You know, you can't do that. But he's saying and gives us solid reasons not to be troubled. And the problem that you and I have is that we take our eyes off those solid reasons and we watch our own understanding. We try to figure it out our own way. We look at what, we look at things through our eyes and our view. And what I'm trying to tell you, church, is as you get ready for a new year, as you get ready to reorder your life and get ready to, to think about what you're going to do, I, w- I would set your house in order to where you put God in the center of your world in everything that you do. And that God is the center, that, that his word, that you begin to trust it and rely on it and to bank on it and to count on it so that when you go through these great trials, which are coming, they are coming, they, they are coming, even if you're 20 or if you're 15, they are coming. And then you have something to count on. Now, Jesus says, this is why, this is why your heart should not be troubled. Lesson two. From the edge of eternity, believe in God and believe in Jesus. The reason not to be troubled is to know who God is and what the Bible says about him. He, he's saying to his disciples, believe in God and believe in me. Believe in what you've seen me do. Believe in what you've heard me say. Believe in who I am. I have never let you down. I will never let you down. The the message of the Bible is that God is completely worthy, trustworthy, and reliable. He will never let you down. He will never, never abandon you. Jesus said, I will never leave you alone in this world. Never. That's a promise from God. I'll tell you, there are a lot of nights I've forgotten that. There are a lot of days I've forgotten that. 
And that's because I take my eyes off the word of God and put my eyes on my own circumstance. But if you, Jesus says, first of all, you got to believe in God and believe in who he is. Believe in him. Trust him. Know what he says. Know what he's assured you. And then trust it. Our faith in God and faith in Christ is what gets us through. That is why we exist. You know, uh, people, I always cringe when somebody says, uh, is your religion Christian? No, I, I, don't, I really don't I, don't, I don't care for religion personally. I mean, I think of religion as ceremony and pomp and circumstance and liturgy and things that people don't understand. But, but I am a believer in Christ. My faith is in Christ. And so I don't need a lot of other things when we worship. We can get a Bible and some believers together and we can pray and we can meet God right there. That's faith in Christ. And that's, that's what, that's what he's calling on us to do. Have faith in him. Rely on him. Know, know what he says. It's not just an outward practice. It's not just what you do at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And then, and then he tells us that you, you know, that, uh, that he's going to leave us. There, there's reason. He's going to be with us. In verse 16 down in chapter 14, he says, and, uh, and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. So, so Jesus has given us a counselor to be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth. That's who's with us as a believer. That's why you can believe in him and trust him because you can wake up at night in great despair or not go to bed at night in great despair and you can go to God and he's right there. He's, his spirit is living inside of you if you're a believer. That's powerful help. That's why you can believe in him. That's why you can trust him. So, so we need to know that. So, so standing on the edge of eternity, we need to believe in God and trust in him, only him. That's the only solution. There's no other way. There's no experience that'll get there. There's no person that'll get there. Your mate can't help you get there. The people that you think are closest to you the only person standing on the edge of eternity that's going to make a difference for you is God. And his word, the reliability of who God is, omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful, God. His word is right here. His promises are revealed to you. Not all of them. We, we have some of them. We, don't, we, we, we know enough. Paul said that when he glimpsed into heaven, he could just... He said he heard things that he couldn't even describe. I mean, that's how, that's how big God is. That's how wonderful eternity is. Paul wrote a lot of things. He couldn't describe heaven for us. That, that's a powerful thing. So then he went on. The third lesson that we have from the edge of eternity is that he's prepared an eternal home for us and he'll take us there. I love that. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you might be also. You see, you see how direct this is. In my father's house are many rooms. Now, I don't know what your concept of how people have preached this to you. Uh, I think, I think the most accurate reading of this word in the Greek uh, John MacArthur says that it doesn't mean mansions. You're not all, it's not like a big housing development in heaven. You know, that we all get a big house. I don't know. 
It's, it's more like a room. It's more like in the, in the concept of Israel that the father had a big house and then as the kids came back home to live with him, he added rooms onto his house. That's what this is. God's going to add a big room onto his house for you. And not only that, Jesus is going to personally prepare that room for you. I can envision my room would have a lot of books with a fireplace. I don't know. It might not be right. I don't know. But I do know what he said is very careful that you listen to this. In my father's house are many rooms. I am going to prepare a place for you. Not for us, not for all of you, but for you. That's a, that's a powerful statement. There's, there's personality in that. There's, there's a personal attention to that. You don't have to have your heart be troubled when you lose a loved one or when you face your own, the own end of life because you know that your Savior has gone to heaven to prepare a room for you, a place for you to live for eternity. That's what he says. And then he says it in a way because he knows how slow we are. And I put myself at the top of that list. If not, if this weren't true, I would have told you. I remember my mother used to say things like that to me, like, if I didn't tell you, if I had not told you to do this, you, well, you know what I'm saying. She told me something and I needed to do it. And she had already said it and if she had not said it, I wouldn't have to do it. But she did say it and I did have to do it. You know what I'm saying. I thought about that today and I had a good clear thought, but not now. But listen to what Jesus says. If not, I would have told you. Just that matter of fact. If this weren't true, I wouldn't have told you that. I would have told you something else. I would have told you the truth. Because in this passage, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He's completely reliable and completely dependable. And if he hadn't told us this, then we wouldn't know it's true. But since he did tell us, we can count on it. So you and I, we, we can look at a time of crisis and trouble and say, well, I don't have to be as troubled about this because I know he told me this and he meant this for me. He's going to prepare a place for you. You know, um, we all talk about that place a lot and we kind of wonder what it is. John gives us a picture of it. In chapter 21 of Revelation, write it down in your Bible, go back and look at it. The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city's laid out in a square. Its length and its width is, are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. So heaven, if you guys are a little bit older, is Rubik's Cube. It's like a Rubik's Cube. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles deep. It's about 2 million square miles. It is about half of the continental United States. That's the size of heaven, the eternal home. That's where we'll live. And you say, well, Jim, that's kind of mind-boggling for me that all the believers are going to live in that. But I want you to listen to this part of Revelation that teaches us the same thing that Jesus is trying to convey. When John saw a new heaven and a new earth, I heard a loud voice from the throne. God is dwelling with man. So in heaven, God will live with you. You wonder where God is? In heaven, he's going to live with you. He's your neighbor. You will worship him every day. You'll be right there. 
That's the personality of God. He will live with man. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. It's not like the angels are going to do it or it's not like a great message or great worship. God will personally do it. Wipe every tear from your eyes. I don't know about you, but we've all got tears over a course of lifetime that just can't be wiped away. They can't be fixed. But when you go to your eternal home, God's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. God will do that. Death will be no more. Can you imagine a day when death will be no more? That's the eternal home that he's prepared for you. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because these former things have all passed away. That's the eternal home. That's a, that's a glimpse of it. Now you can read Revelation 21 and you can read all about how big the wall is and how shiny the stones are and all of these other things. But the things that stun me is that God will wipe away death and tears and crying and pain. And those things don't even exist anymore. They're not even in the vocabulary of eternity. Isn't that great? That's what you have. That's what he's going to prepare for us. That's a picture of it. And then he says, I will come back, and he's not even finished here, I will come back, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you might be also. Just Jesus is preparing his disciples. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't true, I wouldn't have told you. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to come back and take you there. It's not like you got to go find the way. Thomas is going to say, how do we get there? Well, you just follow him, because he's going to come get you. I told you last week and something that that struck me as amazing is that God left the throne of heaven to come to earth as a baby. God pursued us across across heaven. He pursued us out of love to to enter the world as a baby. I mean, that's such an incredible act and statement that God did that for us. He did that for me, for you. And now... Christ is about to leave the earth by way of the cross. It's not the way he would want to go. He pled to go another way, but that was God's will out of love for us. And then he said, but I'm coming back. I'm going to pursue you again. I'm going to come back after you. And where I am, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to take you back. That's a, that's a perfect picture of a savior that loves us. I remember when I was when I was in the army and the field artillery, we would have an advance party. And the advance party would go and find a firing position for a battery, and we would always move at night. So it was always it was always uh, um, it was always tricky. <laughs> it was always hard. Kept you up all night doing that. And uh, when I was a young lieutenant, an executive officer, I'd lead a firing battery. You had to be there, and you couldn't have. I couldn't didn't. I didn't like reading the map at night, believe me. And I had a hundred guys behind me in all those vehicles and they would get so mad if you got lost. And, uh, and our, our battery commander would meet us at the road junction. We would have to get all the way to the road junction and we would drive that far and then we would see him, see a little flicker of a light, whatever signal we'd set up. And there he would be. What a great signal that was because you knew, boy, I made it. I got here another time. I got them. And all of them would come up and say, well, you did a good job tonight. And I was scared to death every time I did it. But how much greater that'll be when Christ comes back for us and picks us up and takes us to heaven with him. He's talking about the rapture here, you know. 
That's what he's talking about. He's saying one day he's going to come back and he's going to bring believers with him. Some believers are already with him in spirit. They're, they're in the grave. They're, they've gone to be with spirit. Some will be on earth. If you're alive when he comes back, he's going to come back and take you home. If you're in heaven, you're already with him. He's going to bring you back and then we'll be resurrected again. But whatever the situation is, the promise from the Bible is that Christ will take us to our eternal home. Your heart doesn't have to be troubled because he's got all that taken care of. So your heart doesn't have to be troubled because he's prepared, because you can believe in who God is. And because he's going to go prepare rooms for you personally, a place for you for eternity. And and you can count on that by the authority of his word. And that he's going to come back one day and and take you there personally. This isn't this isn't like some mass movement. I think you can be encouraged by that. I love it. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of things in the Bible you need to read. You know, there's 318 references to Christ coming back. I hear people say to me, Jim, I'm not sure that Jesus is coming back. I said, Well, you haven't read the Bible, have you? Because there are 318 references in the New Testament alone to Christ's return. It's the most talked about subject in the whole New Testament. You can bank on it. You can count on that. He's coming back. And if you're a believer in him, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. Over in 1 John, there's a little passage there that tucked away that we don't read very much. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to this. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. You know, you see, we only have a picture of what we will be. We don't have the full picture. We just have a little picture. We have a little bit of an understanding. We have a a glimpse. Paul said, we will see through the glass dimly. We, We don't have a clear picture. We all think we're very smart, that we have all this wisdom, God says, no, you just have a little little bit. You have what you need. Hang on. But John right here says, we we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You see, when Christ comes back for us, then we're going to be a new person ourselves. We're going to be new people. We're not going to be people filled with sin and fear and dread. and we're, we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Our sins will be wiped clean. Our bodies will be made for eternity. What a, what a great picture that is for us. You ought to be encouraged with that as we start. Lesson number four from the edge of eternity is that we have to know the way to get there. Jesus was very clear about that. You got to be clear about that. I mean, that's a good question. I, that's the reason I said when I read it. I, I'm Thomas. I'm the guy who would have raised my hand in the back. I promise you, I would have raised my hand in the back of the room and said, Hey, Lord, I, I'm all in, but how are we going to do this? I mean, we're facing a mess right here. You know, you're getting ready to go away. They're going to come after us like they're coming after you. We don't have anything without you. We've been with you for three years. We've given up everything that we have, our families, our homes, our jobs, everything. And now you're going to leave. And what about us? And you're going somewhere. And how do we get there? You can understand all that. And Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Church, you got to know that. You got to you got to know that there's no other there's no other source under heaven that's going to find you relief for your troubled heart than Christ. There's no other way to salvation other than that. All of the other teaching, and you're surrounded by that, you are inundated by false teaching. You, the world fills your mind with other ideas. You can stand in, you can listen in, from Christian pulpits and hear people say that there are other ways to God. I assure you, on the authority of the word of God, there is no other way. Christ is the only way. He is the only way. He says, I am the way. He is a, that is a path for us. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to God. He is not one way, not one of several ways. He is the only way. Over in John chapter 10, when he was teaching us about the, the, the door to the sheep, he said, he was the door to the sheep. He says, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers in John chapter 10, verse 7. In other words, all the sheep have to come through Christ. That's us. They all come. There's no, there's, there's no other working with that. And then he says right below that, I am the gate. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. He's the only way in. That's it. He's the only way in. I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ exclusively. There, there's no other way. I, I can't go through all the other ways. I, I thought about going through a list of some of the things that people teach. But I'll tell you one of the biggest ones. And, and I, I've heard Christian pastors t- say this. That, you know, there's a lot of good ways to heaven. There's, there's Allah and there's Buddha and there's Jesus. But I will tell you the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's it. That's it. You have to know that. But I'll tell you, the problem that we have is we would believe, we would say that, but we might live our life otherwise. We might live our life thinking that we might have a better way, that our own resources can get us to heaven. Our own church membership can get us to heaven. Our own good works can get us to heaven. Adrian Rogers, I loved him as a preacher, and he said, I wouldn't count the best 15 minutes of my whole life to save me from my sins. And he probably had some pretty good 15 minutes every now and then. Probably had a lot better than I did. So don't trust anything you've ever done. Only trust him. Jesus says, your heart does not need to be troubled because he's going to prepare a place for us. Because he is going to come back for us. And and he's going to take us there. And he is the way there. And I, I, I I just pray as you start out this new year that you all have that in your heart. That you all know who he is. That, that you, that you're, that you're preparing yourself today for the trial that's, that's, that's out there. And I'm not trying to be a gloom and doom preacher. I'm really a pretty optimistic guy, but I'll tell you, I'm pretty realistic. I know how life comes and I, I, I know that I spend a lot of time as a pastor ministering to people that are losing loved ones. I will tell you the only hope at the bedside of somebody that's dying is Christ. That's it. Nobody, nobody, I assure you, and many people that I've seen at their bedside when they're dying, nobody has ever said, I wish I worked more. I wish I, I wish I made more money. I wish I'd invested a little bit better. I wish I'd have bought a better car or a bigger house. But I will tell you that when people are at the bedside, all of the other things of life are gone. And the only thing that matters to them is their faith in Christ. 
And the people, the people will draw closer to Christ and they'll set everything right with Christ because they want to be, they, they know that's all that matters. And there are people that have got it. They understand it. There are a lot of people in this world that are deceived by what's out there. I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to know. Jesus gave us clear instruction here. Church, he gave us instruction to be encouraged. Don't be worn down by life. Don't be worn down by grief. And sometimes you've just got to say, listen, uh, the Bible says this. I've got to pray and I've got to spend time in this passage to understand it and apply it to my life. I've, I've learned this about the Bible. Sometimes the first time is not good enough for me. Sometimes a tenth time isn't good enough for me. Sometimes I just have to, I just have to let a passage pour over my life for a few days. Let a passage like this pour over your life. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be worn down. Don't be, just know who Christ is. Know what he's done. Know what he promises. Know that he is the only way of salvation. You'll never be disappointed with that. You'll never say, ah, man, I wish I hadn't put all that time into Jesus stuff. Because when you face your last moments, you'll say that's all that mattered. This is a great passage of hope for you. I hope you'll mark it down, write it down, wear it out because it's a word of God for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Let us be faithful in hearing it. Press it in our hearts with your power. Thank you for loving us to give us this kind of instruction. And we pray, Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, that you'll draw them to you today. Lord, pursue them. Thank you for forgiving us when we didn't deserve it, for using us when we are not capable or qualified, and for loving us when we all are so unworthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.